podcast about the Angels. I'm Bobby Nardaya, the Angels beat writer for The Athletic. I'm joined this week by Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. How's it going, Kyle? Doing all right, man. Glad to be on with you. Yeah, and uh, you've had the luxury of seeing Shohei Otani pitch in person more recently than I have. Uh, he pitches tonight as we're recording this on Monday morning. Um, so I guess that's an easy way to segue into talking about Shohei. Uh, I mean, what did you see out of him in his uh, last outing against the Rangers? And I mean, what does that mean for you going forward, sort of evaluating uh, him as a pitcher? Yeah, I think the biggest thing we saw was he was able to get out of jams. He did not have his control at all in that game. Six walks, a hit batter, and four innings. But he also had seven strikeouts. He was able to go to the splitter to get out of jams. And we knew it was a great pitch for him, but we've seen a little bit. Even if you go back to that first start against the White Sox, things started to spiral on him a little bit. He couldn't quite get out of the inning. Now, the Rangers' offense is nowhere near as good as the White Sox, and you have to take that into account that this is not a very good lineup. But I still thought it was promising to see him get out of those innings, get out of those jams, and really get through those four innings. Uh, Being there, I don't know how visible it was on TV, but uh, when he was facing Isaiah Kiner-Falefa there in the fourth and Joey Gallo was on deck, I mean, Kiner-Falefa was going to be his last batter. They either get this out or they're going to yank him and go to Alex Claudio for Joey Gallo. He buckled down. He got the strikeout to get out of it. And, you know, that's something to build on. After the game, I asked him what he thought of his control. How would he assess his control? He said he would give it a zero out of 100. So, you know, he's very self-aware, uh, but he's, he he's, he's you know, identified it. It's something he knows he needs to improve. And I, I came out of that start feeling better about him as a starter moving forward really, I think more than any time since he's come back from Tommy John's surgery, just, you know, the stuff was good, but it was more that ability to work out of jams as he got through the order multiple times. That's something that's given him, given him some trouble a little bit, not that he's pitched a whole lot post-surgery. Uh, so seeing that progress, I thought was just a good sign. Yeah. And the, the zero out of a hundred comments, like it reminds me of like when he was talking to a uh, Japanese media uh, last winter, when he called a season like pathetic, he's not afraid to like be like just very blunt about himself, which is kind of, kind of strange and not strange, but a little bit different. Uh, That's not something you'd really expect uh, out of really any starter, but let alone uh, someone who obviously requires a lot of confidence to be able to do what Shohei Otani does. Uh, And I, I, I think you're right in the fact that like, the ability to like go through the order multiple times and to be able to face uh, those kind of jams and get out of it. I mean, you saw that a little bit in the White Sox game, especially that last inning. Cause I mean, he did, he got out of the inning. It just, uh, the place. Wow, pitch. Yeah. The place sort of like fell apart, but like you saw, saw over the course of that inning where he was willing to like rear back a little bit more and sort of grab into that. And I know uh, he told you guys after the game, uh, part of the reason why his velocity was down was just trying to manage the blister, trying to get better con- uh, command that way, just because he didn't have uh, the right fastball command. But like even then, like in that last inning, like he was going to 98 more, probably more frequently than he had earlier in the game. Like just the, a willingness and a, and a knowledge to like to be able to maintain that velocity deep into an outing and be able to know when to tap into it. Yeah, I wasn't really worried about his velocity. A couple people were kind of focused on that, but it's his first start in a little bit. He's managing a blister. Like it made total sense. And like you say, he's very self-aware. He knows he needs to pitch deeper in games, controls a big part of that. If that means backing off the velocity early, 
that's a worthy trade-off. I think, like you said, he's a very self-aware pitcher and it, it is kind of funny to hear someone be that blunt. I go back to the 2018 season when he really, really struggled in spring training and he was our rookie of the year at baseball America. And I sat down with him after the season for the feature for our rookie of the year story. And I was just talking to him about how in spring training, there were a lot of struggles and you'll remember a couple people were quoted as saying he needs to go start in AAA and he looked terrible and all these things. And he's like, yeah, I was terrible. I probably did look like I needed to go down to AAA. I was like, oh, wow. Normally a big leaguer, you hear them say, ah, oh, you know, it was just spring training. I was working through it. I mean, he's not afraid to be self-critical and, and be honest with himself. And to be honest, I actually think it's a good thing because hmm. if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't fix what's wrong. And I think one thing that's been promising about Shohei Otani, we've seen it more at the plate than on the mound, obviously, because he hasn't been able to pitch that much. But he's made a lot of adjustments. When he came over, he really had to adjust the leg kick to get on time against big league velocity. He did. You've written about it. Other people have written about it, talked about it this year, some of the adjustments he made this year. Yeah, and you uh, you mentioned him being making those sort of adjustments. I mean, the fact that he, you've seen him at the plate sort of make those adjustments to the toe tap, like you mentioned, uh, adjustments off the field, on the field. Uh, you've seen him make adjustments even within games, within a bats, uh, as a hitter, as a pitcher. Uh, like, he's a guy who he's not afraid to learn, learn this sort of stuff. And I think you sort of see like the attention to detail and the data that he likes to take into every single thing he does. Like he's that, that I think that dictates a lot for him in terms of like how he sort of makes these changes. And I think you start to see some of that adjustments like sort of come to him. You're going to see more of that uh, on the mound from the more he pitches too. And that's the biggest thing staying on the mound, staying healthy. Cause if he can stay on the mound and make those adjustments, then obviously he can be the two-way star. We've all seen flashes of him being able to be, and also be the type of pitcher the angels need him to be if they really want to make the playoffs, but he just has to stay healthy. And uh, I think the big thing that we've noticed with him so far, like the stuff has been there. Uh, the command has been the thing that's been lacking for him. I think part of that's the blister, but also part of that was just, I mean, it was something that he struggled with last year when he was coming back. Like, it's not something that is like a new issue for him either. I mean, is that something that you feel like comes more with more often he throws? I know that's something that he and Matt Wise, the acting pitching coach, have sort of pointed to. Or is that something that he is sort of going to be a bigger issue for him going forward? That's the million dollar question. So I wrote about this off his last start. His career walks per nine is now 5.9 in the major leagues. But again, at the same time, he's made four starts in the last three years and we do see command and feel just come from reps and just come from you know being on the mound more so it won't be 5.9 per nine for you know the rest of the season or his career but the question is is it going to be four per nine is it going to be three per nine and and that's one thing that I know a lot of scouts have questions about when I spoke to some evaluators in spring training when they were watching him you know their thought was this can be an elite level hitter as we're seeing right now on the pitching side, they felt he was probably going to top out at a mid rotation starter, as opposed to a true number one or two. And they cited the control and the command is the biggest reason why that ability to get through a lineup a third time, just consistently pound the strike zone. Like we see those true ace types do. There are some questions about what the strike throwing is really going to look like, but again, it won't be as bad as it's been. Again, almost six per nine, but it probably won't ever ascend to ace level. I think you're hoping he can get to kind of average 
and maybe, you know, slightly above average as he gets more reps on the mound. Yeah. And I wonder like how much of that, like even like average command for him, what that would do for him. Cause obviously like, the stuff is we've seen, like that's really elite stuff. Uh, even if the fastball isn't necessarily like the typical characteristics of like a hundred mile an hour fastball, like it's not like he's going to miss. It's not like this, like this high spin top of the zone type fastball, although like, the spin rates are up this year. Uh, but like, the fact that if he could sort of locate that for strikes, what that does for everything else, obviously the split we all know about like being such a devastating pitch, but even like the slider, uh, that's like a really underappreciated pitch for him. And as he starts to incorporate the curveball a little bit more in there too. Yeah, again, and by the way, I guess I had a rounding error. It is 6.0 per nine, his career walks per nine. I had it as 5.9, but I must have rounded incorrectly. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's the question. But I think even if it's slightly below average, even if those walks per nine get down to four, we see some of the guys who have really elite stuff have higher walk rates still be successful. I think what kind of pitcher he's going to be, again, health is first and foremost. You have to stay on the mound to begin with. But really, okay, is that walks per nine number going to be 4.8, 4.3, 4.0? That's going to be the biggest determining factor of what kind of pitcher he's going to be. And just in general, evaluators do feel like it's probably going to be an average to slightly above average number. No one sees above average command and control or plus command and control in there. It's more explosive stuff, but not quite the pinpoint commander control you see from the true aces. Which is going to be interesting because, I mean, the next part of that is, like, something that we've seen him do against the White Sox, something he might do tonight uh, against the Rangers when he's pitching because, we're, as I mentioned before, we're recording this on Monday morning. Uh, him hitting and pitching in the same game, obviously it helps on both ends if he's able to get through uh, deeper into a game. Like, uh, how much do you feel like that's going to play a role into it? Like, his ability does be get through six, seven innings. Yeah. Again, I think that as many at bats as you can get him per game is obviously a boon for the angels, but at the same time, you don't want to push him on the mound just to get those, you know, extra at bats necessarily. I mean, if he is just really laboring and he's going through a 40 pitch inning there in the fourth, you kind of got to take him out just given his injury history, just given all the concerns there. And so that's where, you know, this can get a, a little dicey. I want to see how this plays out over the course of the season because there's no question Shohei Otani is the most uniquely talented player in Major League Baseball. No one else can do what he does. Not Mike Trout, not Fernando Tatis, not Ronald Acuna, not Juan Soto. None of these guys can hit like he can while throwing 100 with a disgusting split and some pretty good breaking stuff too. But he has to be on the field to do all that. And I think given the injury history, you know, how much do you want to push it? And that's the question. The Angels have been overly conservative maybe at times in the past. Now they're being a little more liberal in using him. And I think finding the balance is going to be the key here because as you said, you certainly want him in the lineup as long as you can, but not at the expense of, oh, he just went through a 45 pitch fourth inning and he's walked five guys. Oh, but we really want to keep him in the lineup two more times. So we're going to throw him back out there just to see if he can figure it out at the risk of maybe not doing what's best for his long-term arm health, especially when you're an Angels team that really does have postseason aspirations. And if he doesn't make it to September or October, those aren't going to come to reality. Yeah, like I, I think I've said this before. Like he's 
I mean, obviously, Mike Trout's the most important player on this team, but the guy who can single-handedly swing the Angels season is probably going to be Otani. Um, and that balance, I think that's something that it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the course of the season. Obviously, it's going to rely a lot on communication, trust. Uh, that's basically the basically the thing that the Angels have kind of harped on uh, so far, just like having that open dialogue and let, having Otani be sort of honest about how he's feeling and vice versa and stuff like that. I think it's something that the balance that we'll see, it's not necessarily going to be pitch limits or anything like that, but I think it won't be surprising. I think I mentioned this uh, when I wrote a couple weeks ago, which because he was dealing with the blister issue. Like it's not necessarily always be a blister issue, but I wouldn't be surprised if like over the course of the season, there's just instances where they skip him for a start where they're just like, all right, you're not feeling up to it for this start. All right, let's just keep you in the lineup for another couple of days. Have you throw an intense bullpen and give you like that eight, nine days between the start and stuff like that. Like just the situations like that, where like they can pick and choose their spots. They have the flexibility to do that with the six man rotation that they're running out right now. And I think that's something that you'll see over the course of the season. And maybe you see it, not just with Otani, but maybe with some of the other starters that maybe have those injury histories, whether it be like a Griffin canning or someone like that. Yeah. Load management is super, super important for really everyone in major league baseball this year, coming off of a 60 game season, ramping up to 162. A lot of focus has been on the pitchers, but the position players too, it's a much, much longer grind. We've already seen a lot of position players go down. It's going to be a very injury filled year in major league baseball. And specifically for the angels, given the injury histories of Otani, of Canning, of Heaney, you have to be very, very cognizant of it. I do think that we need to take a step back and appreciate just the sheer marvelousness of what we're seeing with Shohei Otani pitching and hitting in the same game. These are things that have not been done in a century in major league baseball, him hitting as high in the order as he has. Uh, there was a stat out today put out by the angels that he's the first player to lead the league at home runs while starting on the mound since Babe Ruth. It's no, it's not hyperbole. He's doing things that literally have not been done since Babe Ruth. And we should appreciate that because this is super rare and he's such a rare talent and I understand not wanting to limit him. And I think that is the right call, but you have to find that balance because the biggest questions when he came over from Japan were the first was, can anyone really do this hit and pitch in major league baseball against the best players in the world? The second question was, can anyone hold up to the physical strain, the workload of having to do both? He answered the first question in the affirmative, which was remarkable because I think 90% of people were skeptical. Heck, maybe 95% of people. He still hasn't answered the second question. And you go back and look at the big picture of, you know, an ankle injury in Japan, Tommy John surgery 2018, knee surgery 2019, the forearm issue last year, finding that balance of we want him to feel free and use him liberally, but we also want him to stay healthy. I don't think anyone really has the answer. And like you said, it's going to come down to open and honest communication. And where that becomes interesting is every athlete is going to say, oh yeah, I want to go out there. I want to play and finding out, you know, how to communicate in such a way that you can maybe make the call sometimes of, okay, let, let's take it easy here during this stretch, just to make sure he can maintain his level of performance throughout the whole season that's going to be key. And it's a little bit of a moving target just because it's so unprecedented. I mean, no one has done this before. Yeah. I think that's the thing that the angels kind of have been dealing with for a few years now, like just trying to figure it out what it looks like. Obviously uh, the previous regime under Billy Epler had their way of doing things. They wanted to make sure he was, it's a very structured schedule. It was sort of similar to what he'd done in Japan where uh, it was mostly 
pitching on one set day per week, having the days off around it, trying to uh, build in that, those rest days so he didn't get overworked. And it, it did work for a couple months in 2018. Uh, like it, it definitely did. We saw him being able to do that. And I think they had uh, in mind a date where if he had shown enough health where like, he was going to be able to maybe take some of those days, like play more often than some of those days that he originally had off, maybe the idea of him hitting and pitching in the same game. Uh, that, that was stuff that was available, like possibly down the line, but not something they were going to push. This, it seems like they, uh, this new regime is just like, all right, you're healthy. Let's try this and see if it works rather than have you prove to us you can stay healthy and then try it. Yeah, and again, different philosophies, and I get it. I, I'm not going to sit here and say one approach was better than the other just because I understand wanting to have that structure. I also mm-hmm. understand not wanting to limit an athlete of this ability. We just have to see, and in a lot of ways, hope and pray. I know the angels obviously are very hopeful, but I think baseball in general, the more Shohei Otani is on the field, the more entertaining the game is, the better the game is. So I think we all, as people involved in baseball, whether you're a media member, a fan, an evaluator, opposing coach, a player on the field, you want to see Shohei Otani on the field. So we just have to hope that he can hold up over a full season. He's a tremendous athlete. You've written about it, the changes to his body. You can see it. He's a little stronger, a little bulkier this year, and maybe that'll help him maintain. And, you know, it's only April 26th, so there's a long way to go. But so far, so good. And as we talked about, I thought that last start, there were some encouraging signs, and we'll see what he's able to do tonight. And hopefully we can see it consistently over the next five months. I know it's something we all want to see, and the Angels certainly want to see. Speaking of uh, seeing Shohei Otani in the field, uh, we did see him play the field for the first time in the big league level. Like, obviously, it's not something that the Angels are going to do this year uh, in a serious sense. I don't think it's something they're going to do for a while in a serious sense. But I'd imagine, like, there's, I would not be surprised if there's a day where they like they throw Shohei Otani in the outfield and just to see what that looks like. Obviously, because he's done it before. Uh, how would you feel like he? Like, obviously, this is again, this is a conversation that'd be happening. Not this year, not probably not next year or even beyond that, uh, maybe later on in his career. But like, how do you feel like that would look uh, with Otani in the outfield? He's a tremendous athlete. And his speed was something I wrote about coming out of Japan, that this guy is a 60 runner on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. And he's actually faster. He's been more of a 70 runner yeah. on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. I mean, this guy can fly. It's long legs, long strides. It's kind of remarkable the ground he covers. Now, Translating the raw athleticism to reads, roots, reactions off the bat in the outfield, that takes a lot of reps and it would take work. It's not something where I think you could just throw him out there midseason and say, go play right or center field. There is a sense, though, among evaluators, and I share this opinion, that in the event he has another major arm injury, it probably would be time to shelve pitching and then potentially move him to the outfield. And there is a sense that he absolutely has the athleticism to go play center field, to go play right field. And, you know, again, that's, you don't want that to happen because that would mean his pitching career is probably over, but just purely athletically speaking, he has the ability to do it. But again, you would want to give him a full off season, a full spring training. It's not something you would just throw him out there in the middle of the season and say, go play center field in the major leagues. That would be setting him up to fail and setting the team up to fail. 
Yeah, I know. Like last year when he was uh, shelved with the uh, forearm issue, uh, they had him like take some ground balls, take some fly balls, uh, just to sort of give him something to do. Uh, but I mean, obviously, I'd imagine it's something that everyone's sort of thinking about as a contingency plan down the line. Obviously, the physical tools like they're going to be, they're always going to be there, and I think that's something that's really interesting. Uh, obviously, if he was playing the outfield, that'd be an interesting future outfield for the Angels, which I guess is an easy transition to uh, the Angels outfield future and also some of these prospects, since obviously uh, prospects are a big part of what Baseball America has been known for. And obviously it's something that you follow very closely. I mean, I guess we'll start with someone who is technically does not really have prospect status anymore, but is still like, in the minor leagues right now and someone who had a lot of prospect pedigree as of a year ago and obviously the narrative around him has changed a lot in those last few months. And that's Joe Adele. I mean, what, what did you sort of see from what you were able to see from him uh, in spring training and uh, what you ever, you've been able to hear about him down at the alternate side in Tempe? Yeah, this is still a tremendously talented hitter. There's a long list of guys who came up, struggled their first 50, 60 some odd games. In his case, it was even fewer mm-hmm. and made adjustments and came back and were the stars they were projected to be. There's still a lot of confidence that Joe Adele will be that guy. We even saw in spring training a little bit. It was rough early and he finished pretty strong. When you look at last year, the long and short of it is he wasn't ready. And this is a bigger conversation. Nowadays, whenever a prospect isn't called up, I think the baseball world and baseball Twitter especially has become so cynical. They just assume, oh, service time manipulation. Oh, it's service time manipulation. Honestly, there's probably only two or three guys who are being service timed in any given year. Most of these guys still have things to work on. And I remember last year during summer camp, I did the Angels midseason report for us. And the Angels were open about it and said, hey, we're seeing power, we're seeing hard contact, but he needs more reps against secondary pitches. He's not ready to go up in the major leagues right now and compete against major league caliber secondary pitches. And then a couple injuries happened. He was pushed up a little sooner than expected. And we saw that. So this is just a really, really, really good player who was up before he was ready. It's, it's that simple comes into spring training this year. He talked about his struggles a lot. I think that you heard everything you wanted to hear. And that's the thing with Joe Adele. This guy is tremendously smart. This guy is tremendously knowledgeable about not just the game itself, but what it takes to be successful in the game. And that was true. I was talking to him at Inland Empire in his first full season. Talk to this guy for five minutes. He blows you away. How prepared he is, how knowledgeable he is. A high school draftee should not be as savvy about the bigger picture aspects of the game as Joe Adele is. And this kid is truly special in that regard. And you trust him to figure it out. So in terms of spring training, again, we saw it kind of get a little better at the end of spring training. And in terms of the alternate side, he, again, all these guys, there's just different progressions they need to make. He's still making his. And I have no doubt that as soon as he shows he has made the adjustments offensively and defensively especially and I think that's where the surprising issues were but offensively first and foremost hold me up now defensively we saw some of those issues in spring training still he's talked about it a couple scouts have talked about he's he's looked very mechanical almost robotic like he just wasn't comfortable and one thing to have to keep in mind is he mostly played center field in the minors and people say oh center to a corner it's still different. It's different angles. It's different reads off the bat. It's different jumps. It's, you know, you're deferring to the center fielder that can create some communication issues. 
it's still very different. And again, he just didn't have the reps. So being down at the alternate side and truthfully, probably preferably even AAA game settings, seeing those high caliber secondary pitches, seeing how pitchers are setting him up, getting more comfortable in right field. Those are all still things that need to happen in his development. And when they do, again, this guy still has all the ability and on all the makeup components to be a star in this league. He just was not ready when he was called up last year. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that I found like really interesting from what you just said. I think part of it, like the defense part, I think that's something that he told me. It was like playing center your entire life. You basically like reading baseballs off the bat is just completely different center than it is in the corner. Because when you're sort of playing in center, everything is hit true. It's either backspin or topspin towards you. Uh, now he has to deal with like slices and all these sort of different reads. And that's something that you've sort of seen him. It takes a second for him to sort of get that read. He's still learning that sort of stuff. I think that's sort of how you feel a little bit more mechanical, like you mentioned. Uh, that's something I know he's worked on the spring uh, with Jeter Hines, uh, uh, the outfield coach and first base coach for the Angels, like talking about breathing and like just different stuff like that just to get him more relaxed and let him just let him take like let his body take over because like he you've seen him still like be able to make some of these plays every once in a while. Um, the thing offensively is, I mean, he's had 250 plate appearances above double A. Like it's still like a very small sample that we're looking at with him. And there's a lot of reps that he just didn't get a chance to get, uh, not just last year but in 2019 because obviously he dealt some of the injury issues back then. Um, so he got injured for half of 2019. Had no minor league season, basically went from alt site interest squad games to the major leagues. And obviously, that's a big adjustment. Uh, and you've seen him over the course of the spring. I mean, he got rid of that uh, leg kick he had. It was more of a toe tap now. Uh, you start to see him impact the baseball more frequently. Uh, he's a guy who I agree with you. Like, I think if it's a if it's not a 60 game season, if Justin Upton doesn't get off to a really slow start, if the Angels aren't sliding to start. Joe Adele probably doesn't come up at all last year uh, just because like some of the reps that he needed to get some of this, just the, just the, what it needed to get for him to be ready. Uh, I think that point will come at some point this year. I think he'll probably end the season as the everyday right fielder for the angels. It's just a matter of it. If it's next month, if it's July, if it's August or if it's September. And it just is going to come down to whenever he's ready. It doesn't do anyone any good. And this is Major League Baseball wide to put someone in the majors when they're not ready. And there's a lot of faith that he will get these reps. He will make the adjustments. And when he is ready, he'll be in the major leagues. And there's always an adjustment period. There's always going to be ups and downs for young players in the major leagues. But when we look back on Joe Adele's career in 10 to 15 years, you should see a couple all-star games. You should see a guy who is hitting in the middle of the lineup for a first division team. This is a tremendously talented player and writing him off after what you know 132 plate appearances in a very very irregular season coming off a season when he didn't have the full reps to begin with that would be a mistake and there's another guy out obviously in the outfield picture who probably you feel like his skill set maybe would probably translate a little bit easier, uh, at least like not a more of a smooth transition to the big league level, just considering his approach and uh, the glove that we, everything we already know about him at, uh, as a defender and everything like that. And that's Brandon Marsh, who is pretty much consensus, a top hundred guy at this point, uh, if not top 50 guy for most people. Um, uh, what have you sort of seen out of Brandon Marsh? Cause I know he had a really limited 
uh, spring this year, even because he was dealing with a labor issue. He's primarily a DH just because they wanted to make sure he stayed healthy. But defensively, I've, I mean, I was hearing this as soon as as early as like spring 2019. He's like, oh, he's ready for he's ready for the big leagues defensively already. Yeah, this is a tremendous center fielder when he and Joe Adele were in the Empire together and you got to watch them uh, side by side as teammates. Adele was in center. Uh, Marsh was in the corners often. And then Adele got bumped to double A and Marsh took over in center. And it was very, very clear that Brandon Marsh was the better center fielder of the two. He talked to scouts about it. It was like, hey, Brandon Marsh is a crazy good center fielder the roots the reads the instincts the, the long strides all of it and oh by the way this guy has a cannon for an arm whole bait runners and kind of you know let them go and then he'll be like okay and then just fire an absolute bullet to third base or the plate and gun him down and, and change innings change the momentum of games it's a really special tool he has there the biggest thing with Brandon Marsh is health. He's had a lot of little injuries that have constantly knocked him out. Almost every year, you mentioned this spring training, he had an issue last spring training too. I remember talking to him about in the clubhouse. He had a back issue after he was drafted and didn't play uh, his first year. There was, um, there was a, a foot issue as well. I think he slid into third base on a triple and, and messed up his foot at one point. Uh, even lo- there, there's just lots of little things. So health is the biggest thing with him. In terms of who he is as a hitter, He's gone through a couple different adjustments, which all hitters do. He really found his best offensive self midway through 2019, carried it through to the fall league. Again, really, really good athletic defender. I feel like I've seen some people say, oh, well, let's leave Joe Adele down, but pull Brandon Marsh up. Well, Brandon Marsh has had even less upper level experience than Joe Adele. And just to be frank, when they've been at the same levels together, Joe Adele's been the superior hitter every level of at every step of the way. So seeing how much Joe Adele struggled offensively last year, I actually don't think Brandon Marsh would be ready right now. Again, some of that depends on the strides he's made at the alternate site. And then how much do you really value that? Because it's glorified inner squads and there's all sorts of discussions to be had there. But I actually think that the angels are, are definitely doing the right thing by leaving Brandon Marsh as well as Joe Adele at the alternate site, let the AAA season start get them some reps against actual pitchers for other teams who are trying to get them out in competitive environments and see where they're at. Because I think just saying, oh, Adele's not ready, but Brandon Marsh is, we should pull him up. That's a mistake. I feel like I've heard people say that or talk about that. And again, think about how much Joe Adele struggled offensively last year. He's been ahead of Brandon Marsh offensively every step of the way. Yeah, and I think part of it's like the last time we really saw Brandon Marsh get an extended run was like the Arizona Fall League 2019. Obviously, he performed very well there uh, and saw the power of short performance. But like he was, was limited at the alternate site last year, uh, limited in sprint training this year. Uh, and it's hard to really see. Like, and I know, uh, I know the alternate site they've been able to play against. Uh, they've been playing strictly against Dimebacks Altsiders uh, this month. But like, even then, like you're facing even if you're facing different pitchers, you're facing the same rotation of pitchers 16 times over the course of a month. And it's not really regular at bats, regular game reps. So I think we'll see what he looks like over a couple months in AAA. I think with a lot of these guys and even, I mean, basically all these young prospects that we're considering this sort of lens, like it's going to be a lot of wait till the minor league season starts and look, see what it looks like. This is, the most unknown period of our lifetime about who these prospects are, what they can do and what they'll do in the majors. That's saying something because prospects are notoriously fickle. It's 
an educated guessing game at best for most prospects every single year. And now you add in the fact that none of these guys have played in real true competitive environments for the most part in 18 months, assuming, oh, this guy, he'd be ready right this minute. That would be a mistake. So with Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, what I would say is these are two tremendously talented players, very different players. Ultimately, I think, you know, assuming Mike Trout stays in center field and, and he will until he's needs to move off. Joe Adele will fit in left. Brandon Marsh will fit in right. Marsh's arm is just made for right field. And then eventually, whenever Mike Trout needs to move off of center, depending on where Jordan Adams is, you, you would have Brandon Marsh go play center. That would be your first choice. But while that's the future, and I know Angels fans are always excited for the future, and all fans are, they want to see these prospects come up and play, the future is not right now here on April 26th. It could be a month or two from now if the two of them go out to Salt Lake and are crushing baseballs and are playing great defense and are two of the best players in the league, which is very possible. These guys are tremendously talented then they'll come up. But if they go out and they struggle and they have some rust to shake off, which is also very, very likely impossible, leave them down and call them up when they're ready. Speaking of Angels' top 100 prospects who we have no idea what to make of them in a minor league environment, let alone a major league environment, but who could be in the big leagues as soon as this year, uh, what what have you thought about Reed Demers? I know he didn't get much. He got some innings uh, down in spring training this year, but it, it wasn't too much. Uh, and obviously he... Had, didn't have a minor league season last year. He was able to pitch at the alt site and in instructs, but it's not necessarily close to the same thing. He hasn't. He technically still has not appeared in a professional game uh, within the organization yet. Yeah, so we see this every year in the draft. An advanced college lefty in particular, people say, oh, he could be up in the majors in a year. And more often than not, it takes two to three years. Or if they are in the majors, it's purely in a relief role like a Garrett Crochet. As polished as he is, and let's be clear, he's very, very, very polished. He throws strikes, feel for three pitches, move it around, moves the ball around, you know, good body, good mechanics. It's still a very, very, very different challenge. Navigating professional lineups, turning them over two, three times, pitching every five days, and getting college or pitching once a week. There is an adjustment period there. So I would say with Reed Detmers, he's going to start in the minors and again. Does he come up at the end of this year? It's possible, but I actually kind of go on, on the other side of it where with the minor league season not beginning till May, you're going to ask this guy to basically traverse the entire gamut of the minor leagues in five months. Is that the best thing for him? Is that the best thing for the Angels? I don't think the answer is yes. Now, maybe he's the rare unicorn for whom that is true and he's an exception. But I actually think, generally speaking, and, and pitchers tend to take a little longer to begin with, I think realistically starting him out at high A, you know, maybe he gets up to double A and finishes in triple A, sort of what Griffin Canning did in his first full season, and then debuting the next year, that would make a lot more sense to me, especially given the fact it's a shortened minor league season where they've already lost a month of gameplay. Yeah, I, I could see that definitely happening. I think... Uh... Uh, I know the Angels haven't made a decision on where he'll start yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they just have him for a start or two at low A, just because like that's uh, where Inland Empire is now. So they can it's close, and they can drive and actually go see him for a couple outings. But other than that, like yeah, I think high A, and then see if he gets to Triple A by the end of the year, and have him move quickly that way. 
uh, he seems like the type of guy where it's not like you're going to throw him into a big league relief role anytime soon. Like the stuff doesn't play like that. His, his stuff is more built for to be a starter, but also just go through an order multiple times. He's probably someone who'd be probably a little bit more effective the second time through an order anyways, just considering how his breaking ball plays and stuff like that. But I mean, we'll see what it looks like. We'll see what the velocity even looks like. Cause obviously that was something that was a question mark possibly for him uh, entering the entering pro ball. So, I mean, we'll see. I don't think I don't think he'll be in the rotation by the end of the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if like just the injuries or circumstances maybe make that more of a possibility. I know the Angels haven't quite had any real major pitching issue, pitching health issues yet, and they do still have other guys who they can call up and have spot starts. But uh, I think he's probably someone that talent wise you would have against above most of that sort of depth. Again. Patrick Sandoval, you know, hope get first crack if an injury strikes. Jose Suarez is still around. Jaime Maria is still around. And Reed Detmers has an absolute chance to be better than those guys. And I think most people expect him to be. But I would remind people, you know, Patrick Sandoval, a lot of scouts really like him still and think he has a really good future ahead of him. There was a time when we had scouting directors for other organizations telling us they thought Jose Suarez was a top 50 pitching prospect in baseball. Now we didn't do that. We, we kept him, we did get him in the hundred, but it was like the very mm-hmm. back. Cause when I saw him, like I liked him, but best case scenario was a number four starter. And, and he obviously has not been even that he's really struggled, but I would just caution and say, a lot of people see the newest draft pick and say, Oh, this guy's gonna be really, really, really good. And I would remind you that, that's absolutely a possible outcome, but people also had really high hopes for Patrick Sandoval and Jose Suarez, and they have not worked out as hope to date either. So I think especially with pitchers, you want to take the conservative route. And, and again, I go back to the Griffin canning route where high A, double A, triple A is probably the most aggressive and best case scenario. Even if it's just high A, double A, that's a really good season. We just have to see where he is, where the stuff is, where the command is. And he, he looked good in instructs last year. Uh, we saw some good things in spring training. I mean, he's a good pitcher. Don't get me wrong. But I go back to if he's in the Angels rotation this year, that would mean a lot of injuries happen. That, that would not be the optimal thing for the Angels. You're really hoping the six guys you have stay healthy. And if they don't, again, Sandoval gets first crack. We'll see what Berea and Suarez can do. But um, Reed Detmers, again, I think it's probably more 2022 before you see him taking any sort of regular turns in the angels rotation. And uh, speaking of being aggressive about the new flashy pitching prospect, uh, there is a guy who did make the opening day roster and has performed quite well. And that's uh, Chris Rodriguez in a relief role. Obviously I think the long term, there's still questions about him as a starter. I think uh, it's all ultimately probably going to come down to if he can develop that change up or that slider into really being that third pitch he needs uh, but the stuff we've seen plays up there. And I think the angels sort of have the, everything open for him, whether it be a leverage spot down the line or be somewhere in the rotation, possibly as soon as next year. So we at baseball America actually went a little different than a lot of the rest of the industry. We had Chris Rodriguez ranked ahead of Reed Detmers in our top 10. And that was after extensive discussions with evaluators outside the organization and getting their sense for, who the better pitcher is and Rodriguez, his stuff, you mentioned, you know, the third, fourth pitch, he actually has it. He's got minimum three plus pitches. Some scouts say there's four plus pitches in there. It's just in a relief role. It doesn't have to use all of them. 
it really just comes down to injuries with him. And now that the Angels have kind of put him on this track, does he really ever get a chance to go back down to the minors, start games in double A AA and triple A, show he can hold up every fifth day, pitching five or six innings, navigating a lineup multiple times? Those are all still things he needs to learn. Or do the Angels say he's so good in relief right now and we're trying to make the playoffs, we want to leave him up here? And if they do that, he probably does stay in relief. But there's no question this guy has the stuff and he's actually shown the control too to be a starter. I'm going back through my notes. I spoke to an evaluator at Instructs last year after Chris Rodriguez actually held up last year, pitched between 65 and 70 innings between the alternate site and Instructs. Quote was, he's a number three starter at worst with potentially four plus pitches. Control was good. I've seen this and the scout saw it too. He actually commands his off speed better than his fastball sometimes. Um, but he stays out of the middle of the zone. There's lots of movement on all his stuff. I mean, this is a guy who, even when he misses, gets swings and misses or, or weak contact. So there is very much a sense that Chris Rodriguez has a chance to be a number two or three starter in the major leagues, whereas Reed Detmers, it's more seen as, you know, a three, four, maybe even a five if things don't quite click into place like you hope with some of the stuff. But again, the injuries. And given that, and also just how everything has played out this year at the Angels roster and how bad their bullpen was and needing to construct one on the fly at the end of spring training. We saw them sign Watson, sign C-Shack, bring Rodriguez up. The track he's on right now is kind of a bullpen development track. So we'll see what they do with him. But if you want to talk about potential and stuff, Chris Rodriguez is the top pitching prospect in this organization, and it's no question. But can he stay healthy, and will he ever get the chance to go start again? Those are two questions we don't know the answer to. Yeah, and I think uh, it's funny you mentioned like him commanding his breaking stuff better than his fastball. I think that's something he noted. Like he picked up like a two seam grip last year. The alt side, he's like, I can control the command this way better than I ever commanded my fastball, my four seam fastball. And I I think you've seen that ever since. Uh, You sort of seen a little bit with some like these outings, especially early on. It was like forty pitch outings where he goes through a lineup, maybe like goes through a lineup and a couple of batters. Like you mentioned, it's gonna be hard to really develop him going through. Uh, order multiple times at the big league level. I mean, it's been done before. Uh, I mean, some of the names that they brought up initially when they thought brought up this possibility were like Sale, Garrett Richards, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. I mean, what separated those guys to be able to even make that sort of a jump? So the problem with those comparisons is all those pitchers were college pitchers. Every single one of them had thrown full college seasons as starters. They'd thrown 120 innings before. They'd thrown 130 innings. They had learned how to get through lineups and throw six, seven, eight innings at a time. Chris Rodriguez has never had a chance to do that. He's a high school kid. He's never been able to stay healthy for a full season and really do that. And I think that's a big difference. And that's where, for me, those comparisons lose a little bit of steam. He just does not have the same level of experience those guys do. Those guys, that that reliever to starter transition, again, while those guys did it in college or had a 150-inning season in the, in the minors at some point or 130-inning season at some point. And that's where there's a big difference there. So for, for Chris Rodriguez to learn to do that and get the experience to do that, it's probably going to have to come in the minor leagues and we'll see again some of this is going to depend on injuries some of this is going to depend on 
what happens around him and, and just how he kind of continues to grow and develop as a pitcher. But I think right now it's hard to say he's going to make that jump in the major leagues alone. I guess Woodruff would be the guy you say he did it because he never really uh, got a full season's worth of innings as a starter at Mississippi State. It was a lot of, you know, 30-some-odd innings, 18-some-odd innings, 30 innings again, and he was able to figure it out. But even he, he threw 158 innings in the minors one year. So that's going to have to come at some point that, hey, he's out there throwing 130, 140 innings as a starter, whether those other guys did in college, other guys did in the minors where he's going to have to get that as the minors. I think you have to have that in your background to make the transition successfully in the major leagues. Yeah. I think the one thing that's really interesting about that and with Denver's too, is like the angels have four rotation spots that are going to be freed up next year because uh, they have four guys who are going to be free agents between Dylan Bundy, Andrew Heaney, Jose Quintana, and Alex Cobb. Obviously I don't expect them to not make any changes in the rotation this winter. Uh, I imagine that they will probably trade for someone or sign in multiple of those guys, if not bring some of those guys back, I think Bundy's the obvious candidate to try to bring back, although he's the, the more difficult to try to bring back considering the cost and price. Uh, but I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be opportunities for those two guys. Also for a Sandoval Suarez, a Berea for just to have just out, at least another crack at this rotation, although they've had plenty of cracks already. Yeah. And again, there's reasons why you have depth, starters I think that there's no question Dylan Bundy is the guy that the Angels should bring back and would hope to be able to bring back but again we have to see what the salary demands are what the market looks like the new CBA is coming out what that does in terms of you know free agent compensation what that whole situation looks like so there's a lot of unknowns but there's no question the Angels are going to need starting pitchers and Again, they're going to have some options in terms of whether they bring back two of those four guys, whether they decide to give Sandoval or some of these other guys a crack at the opening day rotation, or if Detmers has made the jump, or if they decide that Chris Rodriguez, hey, you've thrown 100 innings. You know, looking back, Chris Sale did throw 100 innings as, as a starter at Florida Gulf Coast and then came up. So, you know, if they get to 100 innings, then maybe you can say, okay, maybe we can try this transition. But again, I don't know if he's going to get that opportunity here. And, and also there's a big difference between throwing a hundred innings as a bunch of three inning stints versus getting through a lineup five or six innings at a time. So we'll see. There's no question there are rotation question marks, but honestly, right now the angels focus is this year and getting through this year healthy with a lot of these guys. And that's going to have a big, big, big impact on what they do this offseason. Who's healthy, who's not, who is effective, who's not. We kind of have to see what happens this season before figuring out what next season looks like. Well, transitioning a little bit to another Angels prospect who was a surprise uh, opening day roster addition, uh, it's Jose Rojas. I mean, who has looked a lot better at the plate of late. I mean, obviously the over 17 start didn't look that sharp, but also I think the thing that's important to remember that I sort of almost forgot about as well with Rojas. Like he hasn't gotten everyday game at bat since uh, 2019. And, that, and then he was adjusting to being a part-time player for probably the first time in his minor league career, uh, in his pro career. Uh, so now he seems like he's trying to get his feet underneath him a little bit. And what have you seen out of Jose Rojas just historically and then leading into now? So the first time I saw Jose Rojas was at Inland Empire in 2017. And Matt Theis was on that team. Taylor Ward was on that team. 
And I'm watching this guy, this 36th round pick, A, outperform them at the plate, and B, just frankly look better than them at the plate. It was a better swing. There was more impact. I was like, who is this? And then I started making some calls just around you know, the league with scouts. And you know, we hit all the big guys. What do you think of Thice? What do you think of Ward? And hey, by the way, anyone jump out to you is kind of a sleeper candidate. And Jose Rojas' name came up all the time. The guy could just hit. Followed him at double A, continued to hit, followed him at triple A. And I was making calls for the Pacific Coast League. And it was the same thing that this guy can really, really, really hit. And I actually remember I pulled up a note from a scout in 2019 where I ran through Thice, again, Thice, Ward, even Walsh. And asked Rojas, the quote was, this is the one kid who can really, really, really hit. Hands are good. I mean, everything. This guy has always hit, and he just needed an opportunity. And it was sort of weird. There was always this disconnect. Uh, speaking with opposing team scouts and speaking with Angels player development staffers, the coaches of, at Island Empire and Mobile and Salt Lake, they all really like this guy and said, this, this guy can legitimately hit. And then you talk to people in the front office, and there was a lot more skepticism. And I think he's one of those guys where – the data and also the, the positional profile, the size, you know, when you look at it from a data perspective, there's a lot of reason for skepticism. He was old for the level every place, doesn't have a great defensive, you know, talents, talent, uh, skills level in terms of where he's going to play. But the people on the ground, it was like, this guy can really hit and he deserves a shot. And I know after the 2019 season, a lot of people were disappointed. He didn't get a September call up. And give him credit. He kept grinding. I actually spoke to some Angels player development staffers last year at the alternate site, just to get updates on some guys. Said, hey, you know, who's been the best hitter there? Uh, you know, is it Marsh? Is it Adams? Like, no, Rojas has been our best hitter here. Again, he was everywhere he's been. He's been a great hitter. And it was great to see him get the opportunity. And like you said, it's very, very, very natural that first two dozen ABs or whatever are not sharp. He adjusts and he started to look better recently. Um, there, there's no doubt that this guy can hit and be a valuable bench contributor type in the major leagues. That's something scouts have seen for years. Uh, Angels front office and some others were more skeptical, but he got the opportunity and, and I think we're going to see him take advantage. And I think the thing that's interesting is like it's not just the Angels who didn't see this. I mean, it's uh, I mean, they left him vulnerable to the Rule 5 draft two winners in a row, and he was available for any team in baseball to take him, put him on the big league roster for a year, and he's exactly the type of guy that you'd think would fit that, just a guy who performed really well at the minor leagues that like a rebuilding team would take a chance on, and no one did. And we've seen this a couple times. The corner bat who can hit doesn't get taken in the Rule 5 draft. Max Muncy and Fran Mel Reyes were also left unprotected in the Rule 5 draft, free for anyone to take, and no one took them. Jared Walsh, too. Exactly. The, the corner bat who's in the upper levels doesn't get taken. And instead, it's a lot of the pitchers in A-ball who get taken and they never stick and teams just keep doing it over and over and over again. It kind of boggles my mind. This is a guy who, again, and it goes back to, I actually remember talking to some other front office officials about him in advance of the 2019 Rule 5 draft in San Diego and they were very lukewarm on him. Again, there was this very weird disconnect. The scouts who were on the ground at games watching him liked him. I've gotten good scouting reports on him from opposing team scouts for years. But front offices who were looking at data and some of the modeling and the computer aspects didn't love him. And he's not the only player for whom there's a very interesting split like that. But at the end of the day, I lean 
watch what's happening on the field, not just, you know, what the analytics side is telling you, you have to take them in conjunction. And in this case, again, I'm just, I'm just glad he got to the, he, I'm just glad to see he got the opportunity because there were a lot of individuals who were worried he was never going to, and he's, he's gotten it. And like I said, we're starting to see him kind of get his feet under him. And I do think he has a chance to be a very nice bench player for the angels for a long time. You know, Rendon is their third baseman, Walsh is their first baseman, and this can be your left-handed corner guy off the bench. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like now that even we've seen the data on him with the batted ball data, having that publicly available, like he's impacting the baseball. Like, like we've said, like he's, he's hitting the ball 95 plus multiple times, like, and he's hitting the ball hundred plus multiple times. And it's not like, it's not like he like doesn't have power or does, isn't able to impact the baseball or anything like that. Like he, He's showing that he can hit. Obviously, the defense we've seen up and down a little bit, but I mean, he's a guy who, if he's your bench bat, like he's he certainly has performed a lot better than some of the guys who had a lot better prospect pedigree who were ahead of them on that depth chart, like Luis Rangifo being one of them. Yeah, and again, when I, when I say the data, I'm talking more about the models yeah. in terms of they see a 24 year old at high A who doesn't have a position. The model kills that guy, no matter that he actually hit. Um, so it's, it's sort of a profile thing, but again, I'm not surprised that he has reached the major leagues. And again, we'll see what he's able to do in terms of whether, you know, he sticks with the angels or whether some other team scoops him up. But, but the fact that he, again, is hitting balls hard and is making some adjustments and starting to come around should surprise no one. This guy has always hit statistically the scouting reports on him as a hitter have been good for four years now. This is what this guy does. He can hit. And then uh, I, I think I feel like I can ask you about anyone in the system, but I think on the whole, I, I, that, that would basically take all day just going through <laughs> everyone in the system. So I mean, what do you think about like where the system at, as a whole is right now? And I mean, obviously I know Billy Upper had said in the past that he wanted to have a top five, 10 system every year that didn't quite pan out. But I mean, where do you feel like the system is at now? So we at Baseball America have them, uh, I think, either 22nd or 23rd in our organization talent rankings. And, you know, that, that's where they are. You have Adele and Marsh at the top who are excellent, excellent prospects. Rodriguez, again, very, very talented pitchers we've talked about. Detmers, again, there's an expectation he'll be a, a productive starter in the major leagues in that number three or four starter role. And Jordan Adams is a very, very exciting young player. We've seen what he can do athletically. He can scale a wall like Spider-Man in center field. Mm -hmm. He also has really good plate discipline and pitch recognition, which is sort of unique for kind of the raw two-sport athlete type. He's less raw than I was led to believe. There's a lot of quiet takes. So it's good to see, but his swing needs a lot of work. And in the outfield, sometimes you'll see him overrun balls in the gaps. So there's still a lot of development there. And you know, does this guy click or not? We see a lot of these guys in the minors never click and a few do and become standouts. He's got a, a tremendous amount of variance in his potential outcomes. Once you get past those guys, the depth falls off pretty quickly. And so that's because the angels have been trading a lot of prospects for big league help in recent years. It's not that they've drafted terribly or that they can't scout. It's nothing like that. It's just, this is a team that's been trying to make the playoffs and as such, they've traded away a lot of young, talented prospects, whether you want to go back to Sean Newcomb back in 2015 to Will Wilson most recently. Those are two first-rounders they traded to try and get big league help. So because that's the 
path they've been on, there's just not a lot of depth here. And there are some interesting guys lower in the system. Eric Rivera, who is a two-way player, but really he's a left-handed pitcher. He's interesting, and he's number 15 or 16 in the system. It's not like there's nobody, but it's a lot of low-level wild cards. And the truth is, if you have 10 of those guys, maybe one of them will hit. Yeah, I think that's sort of like that's sort of a tendency of like what you saw in their draft philosophy too and international sign. Like they they went that last regime went for a lot of those guys who if they if they pan out, they're star level players, like these like really like high impact type of guys, but not the the overall farm system depth hasn't quite been there to the same extent as obviously some of the better farm systems, whether it be like San Diego or Tampa. And again, some of that is is they've traded a lot of guys. Again, I think that this group has shown they can find good talent. And there have been some guys who have come out of this farm system recently. David Fletcher and Jared Walsh are two homegrown success stories. And it's been really, really impressive to see. And frankly, the fact that they have overachieved relative to their prospect rankings, and I do believe the talent we're seeing is real, not a fluke, that completely alters the Angels' future outlook in a positive way. So there's always guys who can come up and pop. And, and I don't want to make it seem like after the top five, there's nothing there. there. There's always guys who can do something for you. But when you stack it up compared to those top level systems, those systems have a lot more guys who have both upside and a little more track record and certainty than the angel system currently does. And again, some of this is intentional. If the angels, hadn't traded as many prospects as they have over the last five or six years, the farm system rankings would probably be a little better, but what would the major league team look like? We don't really know. So on the whole, I would say that you see some of the successes they've had with Walsh and Fletcher, you know, Canning's got to figure some things out, but there's talent in there. You look at Adele, you look at Marsh, you look at Rodriguez, you look at Detmers. There's players here to work with and they've shown they can get them through the system but like any other team, you need to continue adding talent. They have another high pick this year. It's important they hit on that and just keep the pipeline really, really, really flowing. And if Jeremiah Jackson and Jack Kochanowitz hit, that's great. But they're also two really young guys who have never played above the rookie level. So we just have to wait and see. Have you gotten a feel at all for what uh, this new regime with Perry Manassian sort of likes and values just from track records or anything like that? Or is that still something that's too early to tell? Too early to tell. I will say that the Angels scouting director, Matt Swanson, remains the same. Their Mm. national scouting director remains the same. So we'll see if they kind of follow the same tendencies that they have in the past in terms of the new front office regime. Yeah, we just don't know because you can look at what was done when Perry Manassian was with the Braves, but how much of that was him versus Alex Anthopoulos versus the scouting directors versus, you know, it, it's hard to ever really know how much one individual had in a different organization. So we'll learn soon enough, but right now it's kind of a question mark. Yeah. Well, I think it's tough to see, like, like you mentioned, uh, obviously Carlos Gomez, the international scouting director is still there. Matt Swanson, the scouting director is still there. Uh, they did bring in Ray Montgomery, who obviously, ran a lot of drafts for the Brewers. Uh, Brian Parker was very influential with the Dodgers for a while. He's doing some of their international scouting as well. So, I mean, there are some new faces in there. I think it's, it'll be interesting because it's a lot of different types of organizations with different track records. Like Even like Gene Watson bringing him in. Obviously, we've seen what the Royals have been able to do with their drafts uh, in years past. So, uh, I think it's a matter of 
wait and see approach and see how obviously this draft rolls out and also uh international signing period with uh it being a little bit different obviously the this year's international signing period was mostly signed uh by the time Perry Manassian came on yeah again I think that as we move forward here this draft will be really really instructive and, and as you mentioned the international signing class the way that it's changed in the calendar now from July 2nd to January 15th um, we haven't gotten a great feel for what Perry Manassian and his group really, really likes to do. This draft is going to be really instructive. And also just the way this draft class is shaping up, it's very, very, very strong in college pitchers, which again, we saw the Angels take in the first round last year and high school hitters, which is something we've seen the Angels like in the past. Again, Adele, Marsh, Adams. So it's kind of the two genres, if you will, we've seen the Angels go after recently. Uh, it's not a very good group of college hitters you're not going to want to take a high school pitcher as high as the angels pick this year. So whether they go college pitcher, whether they go high school hitter, and again, some of it's going to depend on, you know, what happens in front of them. We'll start to see what this group's preferences are, or if it's the same as it has been. And, and you know, Matt Swanson still being in charge and, and his group kind of keep things the way they have been. We'll, we'll, we'll find out in July. All right. I think that's a good place to, lead off with or end cap off with uh thanks kyle again uh for taking the time and thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of 27th heaven thanks for listening and hope to tune in next week